And well, good morning, everybody. As you, uh, oh man, I, just, I said that and the conversation just died. I, I killed the mood. <laughs> well, welcome. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for being here. Uh, my name is Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so thanks for, especially if you're visiting, thanks for taking time on your, your Sunday to, to join us in this Christmas season. So I, I really love weddings. Um, and not just like as a pastor performing weddings, but but also um, I, I, I get to be involved in weddings in lots of different ways. As a pastor marrying people, but also I, um, I do wedding photography as well. And um, you know, many of you know that that's sort of I'm transitioning into full time wedding photography. That's God has kind of opened that door for um, for, for me and my family. I'm excited about that, and I and I love wedding photography, and I love it for a lot of reasons. Um, but one, one reason is just that um, f- as a photographer, I love capturing kind of just, you know, spontaneous emotional moments. And at a wedding, that's just like super easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. There's just spontaneous emotional moments everywhere. It's like I, I have some, some pictures here. Like um, this, this first picture, like, I mean, like look, like they're, they're freaking adorable. It, like... This was the easiest picture in the world because they're just like so in love and it's just like, <laughs> like and, and weddings are like that. It's just beauty and emotion and joy all over the place. And so as a photographer, it's, um, it's, it makes it fun and it makes it really easy too. Um, but another reason that I love weddings and I love being at weddings and, and even as a, as a photographer, the role is a little different than a pastor because I get to be sort of like the fly on the wall the whole day. And what I've discovered is that weddings have a lot of life lessons if you just kind of step back and observe what's going on. Weddings are a parable. Uh, there's lots of life lessons. There's lots of things to draw, draw from and like, things that you notice and take away. Um, lots of biblical pictures. I mean, th- there, there's a reason that the, that the Bible often uses wedding imagery. Uh, that Jesus, uh, in a lot of his parables, lots of his parables were about weddings. Uh, and he used the imagery in weddings uh, to, to teach people about what, the, what his kingdom is like. You know, the Bible describes the relationship between God and his people like a, like a, a bride and a groom. The, the way Jesus describes the hope of his return is like guests at the party waiting for the groom to arrive. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses marriage as, as a metaphor that points us to the gospel. He says, husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's this, this picture of the gospel, of, lay, of, of the groom laying down his life for his beloved. So there, there's a lot to learn at weddings. And in the text we're going to look at today, we have a wedding. See, this, and this Advent series that we've, that we've been in, that we're calling Hope, um, is, um, it, we've been in this for a couple weeks, and this idea of hope that we have been looking at from different angles, this hope, the confident expectation for some future good that has been promised. And so we've been looking forward this Advent season, not, not quite so much looking back to, Chris, to the first Christmas, but looking forward to what God has promised. And so we've been looking at the end of the story, so to speak. We've seen, 
We've seen the, the hope of Jesus' return. Uh, we've seen the hope of final redemption. We've seen the hope of rescue. I've just realized now that all of those were R. Those are all alliterative. Oh, well, I should have thought of a better one, this one. Because now, now here we get to, the, uh, this, this Sunday before Christmas, we get to the hope of his presence. The hope of Jesus' presence. Man, what a, what a missed alliteration opportunity to have an R word there. Oh, well. <laughs> As a preacher, I can't help that. And so we're going to be looking at Revelation 21, a couple verses here at the, at, this, this kind of at the very end of the Bible story. And what we have, what we discover at the end of the story is a wedding. It's a wedding. And in fact, what we have at the end of the story is the real wedding. The real wedding of which all of our earthly celebrations are just a foreshadowing. We've got a bunch of foreshadowing pointing forward to, to this great day. And what we're going to see in Revelation 21 is the final end to which all of history is moving. It's the grand finale, the, the happily ever after for God's people, for all who have put their trust in Jesus and this great hope, this greatest hope, is that one day we will see him. We will see him with our eyes, see the one that we were made for, see him, see the groom there at the end of the aisle, so to speak, and that we will be with him. And on that day, Jesus, who we celebrate in first Christmas, coming as Emmanuel, God with us on that day, he will be Emmanuel again. That's really the, the big idea of today's message is one day Jesus will be Emmanuel again. He will be God with us again forever. So as we, as we get ready to, to turn and look at Look at this text. I want to pray. I want to ask for, for God's help as we see things that are so great and wonderful and glorious. I, I feel the inadequacy of words. I feel like we're just going to scratch the surface here. So let's pray and, and ask for God's help. Lord, this hope that you have called us to, the, these words that we're going to look at are beyond description. And so help me in my feeble attempts with language and help us with our feeble ability to see and comprehend and feel the weight of these things. Holy Spirit, we need your help here. Open our eyes, give me words to speak, and Lord, point the spotlight this morning to Jesus and his greatness and the greatness of our hope in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, um, today's text is really easy to find. It's like the last page or like the second to last page. Uh, and we're going to put the words up here on, on, on the screen from Revelation 21. And I want us to see, to, to see three things here, three, three things as we, as we unpack these five verses at the end of the story. We're going to see the bride, the groom, and the party. The bride, the groom, and the party. Here's Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is... This is the end of the story, the great, the great climax, the grand finale, the story that, that begins at Christmas, the great rescue of the Son of God breaking into history, fullness of God and helpless babe as we sing, so that one day these words would come true. This is where it's all going. So we're going to look at here in this, these verses, the bride, the groom, and the party. And so you can see here, verse, verse, verse 1, uh, the apostle John, in seeing this vision, sets the stage. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first had passed away and the sea was no more. So let's, let's connect the dots to some of the things we've been seeing in this series, if, you're, if you've been tracking. It's a, a new heaven and a new earth. It's, uh, what, what's happened here is the creation wiped clean like a dish, scoured by fire, renewed and resurrected. The, the, the end goal of history is not, like what we've seen, is not floating on a cloud in heaven with like a harp and a halo. The, the end of the story is this, a new heaven and a new earth, a redeemed world for God's redeemed people to live on with their redeemer. And so we have a new creation. And when it says here in, in verse 1, when John says, the sea was no more. You might wonder what that means, and don't, uh, don't worry, you can still have your, your glorified beach house in the new creation. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, you know, Jesus said in his father's house are you know, many mansions, he goes to prepare a place for us. So, so my wife Sarah and I have decided that, that we're going to have a beach house in the new Hawaii, in the glorified Hawaii. That, that's going to be my mansion. <laughs> So but when, when John says that the sea was no more, he doesn't mean no beach. Um, we're going to see a, a, this more clearly a little later, but John, in describing this new creation, he paints the picture of the whole creation as God's temple. That's, all, that's what the significance of all the imagery. If you go and read the whole chapter, all the imagery is that. It's all creation is now God's temple. And so all the imagery in this chapter is temple imagery. And in the Old Testament, the sea, the bronze sea, was a huge basin of water in front of the temple. And it was used in temple rituals for purification because sinful people couldn't bring their sinful stuff into God's holy presence. So the point is, what John is saying here, the point is not that there's no beach houses in the new creation. The point is there's no need of purification anymore. 
There's no need to fix yourself up anymore to be in God's presence because the whole creation has at last been scoured clean. And all of God's people have been purified all the way down to the very bottoms of their souls. And every trace of sin and sorrow and brokenness has been swallowed up in victory. There's no more need for purification. And then we see this picture. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. This is, this is God's people assembled from across across the ages resurrected as we've seen as we've seen before resurrected coming down out of heaven from God again the direction is important here the direction of our hope it's not being it's not up to heaven it's coming down into this new creation prepared as a bride adorned for her husband God's people beautified and glorified all of our mess and all of our junk finally gone. You know, one of the things I've learned as a, as a wedding photographer is that the, the, the longest part of the day is the part that if you just go and attend a wedding, you don't see. It's all the getting ready stuff. And if, you, if you've been married, if you've been a bride, like, you, you know this. Um, if you're a groom, you don't know this. The guys, like, we, like, roll out of bed, like, put on a tie, we're, like, we're good to go. But, but the, the ladies... I mean, like, good grief, ladies, it's like hours. <laughs> it's hours and hours of hair and makeup and dresses. And, like, it, it's, like, yeah, it's, like, practically the whole day. The wedding is just, like, the little part at the end. <laughs> and so this getting ready part of a wedding is really long. And so, yeah, here, so here's that, this, the, the same couple. It's, it's getting ready, and it's, it's, it's beautiful, but, you know, that was at the very end. You know, you start... Your, your hair is a mess, and you don't have the makeup on, and the dress is in a bag. And what I've seen as a wedding photographer is that this getting ready session always runs late. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to a wedding <laughs> where the bride got ready on time. <laughs> and I, I always tell them, like, it's okay, the party can't start without you, so like, don't, don't, don't sweat it. But it just goes on and on. And this picture, we can go back to, to Revelation 21, this, this picture of, of at last the bride, God's people adorned and beautified, it's, it, it sort of reminded me, and thinking about that, it reminded me of the, that long getting ready period before a wedding. Where when you get, the, it's like eight o'clock in the morning and the wedding's at four and everyone's disheveled and tired and and feels like it's a long way to go, and it is a long way to go. The church, the church feels like that sometimes. If we look at the end of the, if the, end of the story is the church beautified and glorified, a bride pre prepared for her husband, doesn't the church today a lot of times feel like that getting ready? <laughs> Where it's long, and we're a mess, and it's running late. <laughs> Because the church is a mess, and people are a mess, and you're a mess. No offense, I'm a mess. And so when you're dealing with the mess, when people disappoint you, and people hurt you, or maybe you're the one who's done the disappointing or the hurting, this picture in Revelation 21 can feel really far away.
because it's easy to see just the mess. But one of the things that hope is supposed to produce in us is perseverance. That hope holds out for the end of the story. And hope knows that if this is Jesus' bride, that Jesus is going to get her ready. And he's going to get us ready. And that this day will surely come. And so we can hold out in the mess. And whatever mess you're in of relationships and difficulties, one day the bride will be ready. And we will walk down the aisle and the saints will come marching in. And all of the, of the mess and the seeming delay on that day will have been worth it because the bride will be ready. And so the, the messes in your life, the difficulties, the relational strife are not, are partly because we're not ready yet, but it's also, these are the very things that God is using to make us ready. In sort of the strange providence of God, the, the, the trials and difficulties of this life are the makeup on the bride. <laughs> they, they are the beautification process itself. They are what is preparing us and shaping us moment by moment, day by day, trial by trial for this day of glory when the bride is revealed in splendor, when all creation sees God's people for what, for what we really are underneath all of our junk, what God has been preparing, what God has been ransoming hearts to create. All creation will see it, and we will see it, and we will know on that day that it's all been worth it. So hold out hope in your mess. One, one day the bride's going to be ready. Now, this picture starts with the bride. And we know in, in weddings, right, it's, it's all about the bride, right? The groom's just along for the ride. Well, in this wedding, in this real wedding, this day is actually all about the groom. As beautiful as the bride, the church will be, in the end, it's all about the groom. And, and, and this is actually, this is one of the things, another thing I love about, about weddings. And this is you get to do as the pastor or the photographer. You know, at that moment when, you know, the music starts and the bride's coming down the aisle and everyone stands. In, in that moment, everyone stands and they turn and look at the bride, you know, because she's beautiful. She spent all, you know, all those hours getting ready. But my, my pro tip, and I, I've shared this at weddings before, so you might have heard me say this, but uh, my pro tip for you in that, in that moment is when everyone stands and turns and looks at the bride, turn the other way and look at the groom. Turn and look at the groom. Because that moment and that, that his face right there is what the whole day is about. Look on the groom's face when he sees the bride. And in that moment, if you're looking the right direction, you'll see that what, this, what that celebration is about is not how fancy the bride looks. It's the love in the groom's eyes. And that's what the day is about. It's the love in the groom's eyes, and it's the, you can go to the next picture, the, the embrace 
the embrace at the, the end of the aisle. This is what the wedding is about. And this real wedding, the wedding to which all of this is just a foreshadowing, the centerpiece of that celebration is the groom, the love in his eyes, and his presence with us. That embrace at the end of the aisle is a dim reflection of on this day, everything that we have been longing for. You can go to the next slide, Revelation 22. As the bride comes, beautified, adorned, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself, God himself, you can almost hear the, the amazement in John's voice, God himself will be with them as their God. Emmanuel again. And this, this moment of the, the embrace at the end of the aisle and the embrace that lasts forever of God finally fully with his people again. This is the moment that you have longed for your whole life, whether you know it or not. St. Augustine said, he said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. All of us have this restless longing within us, that we, we hunger for, for joy, we ache for acceptance, we long for peace, and we spend our lives scrabbling about in pursuit of fulfilling that longing. And we try to find it in people and in circumstances and possessions. We try to find it in, in holiday feelings and good cheer and peace and joy. And we're looking everywhere for it. And we get little tastes of it. But it never really works. It never fully satisfies because what you have actually been longing for is this day and this one at the end of the aisle. And only he can fill our hearts. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I've, I've heard it described that it's sort of like, like our hearts have a missing puzzle piece and that, that God is that missing puzzle piece. And we keep trying to, the problem is, is we keep trying to fit other things into that gap. If you ever try to do a puzzle and you're like, I know this piece fits there, and you just, but you know deep down it doesn't, that's, that's life. And that's a good image, but I don't think that that picture of God as the missing puzzle piece goes quite far enough. Because you see, I, I think what we will discover at the end of the story when faith has turned to sight is that God is not just the missing puzzle piece. He's the whole puzzle. He's, he's the, the, pic, the whole picture. He's everything. And our problem, our problem is not just that we're missing that one piece to fit in and have a full, successful, happy, best life. 
The problem is that in our fallen, sinful condition, we've turned that whole puzzle upside down. You know, we've dumped out the box. All the pieces are upside down. And we're trying to, to put our lives together that way with all the, the puzzle pieces upside down. And we're, we're trying to fit them together. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to do a puzzle that way? <laughs> like maybe if you're like a real puzzler, like, you, you, like that's like a challenge you could set for yourself. Um, it's really hard, first of all. This is why life doesn't work very well, because the puzzle's upside down. And also, even when you find pieces that fit together, we're missing the picture. We're missing what the whole puzzle is about. And so, so here, here we are in our lives with these longings, and we're trying to put our lives together, and we just completely miss the picture. We miss the one that we were made for. And you know, th- this, this is the fundamental human problem. This is, this is what's wrong with the world, and, and it's what's wrong with you. It's that we have turned away from the source of joy and life. We've turned away from the one the Bible calls the fountain of living water. He, the one who, who will satisfy us forever. The one who our restless hearts were made for. And instead, we're trying to scratch out some meaning from the created stuff that can never really satisfy. We have traded the creator for his creation. We prefer the stuff he's made to the one who made it. We have insulted our maker by preferring what he's made. It's, it's sort of as if, if you could picture the, the absurdity of this, it's as if the bride was so enamored with her engagement ring that she forgot her groom entirely and just sort of wandered off, you know, obsessed with the shininess. I mean, it's, it's an absurd picture, but it's what we do. It's what we do every day is, we, is the stuff that God has given us, the good things that he's blessed us with, we turn around and we make that the center and we, that our focus and that our idol. And we forget the one who made us and loves us. How do you think the groom feels about that? We have, we have broken his heart. We have insulted our maker. We have made ourselves enemies of the king. And so our only hope is mercy. The only hope that, that you and I have of those longings, of our restless hearts ever finding rest is mercy, mercy that will pry our eyes away from the shiny trinkets and back to the one who made us and loves us. Our only hope is God himself coming to save us. This, of course, is the Christmas story, right? And it's what we sang in the song, In Christ Alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, And the purpose of that gift of love, of this baby coming, is in the rest of the verses, on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. What I deserve for for abandoning the groom, 
for turning my back on my maker and rebelling against my king, Jesus took in my place. Jesus stood in my place and took for me. This is, this is how far his love goes, is that, is that his, his bride, his beloved scorns him, and so he chases us down with relentless mercy and goes as far as death itself to rescue his bride. And the point of that rescue is so that he can take us and clean us up, forgive us, and make us new, and one day present us to himself in splendor. With all of our idolatry and all of our sin washed clean, so that in this moment we can find what we were truly made for. And this is the moment that satisfies our souls. And this is the end of the story that goes on forever. You know, I, I think of Psalm 84, thinking of trying to like how to describe the very thing at the bottom of our souls that we were made for. Psalm 84, 10 says, better is one day, Lord, in your, in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. You know, the, the psalmist says, like, I, like, I would rather spend one day in God's presence than a thousand elsewhere. What must eternity in his presence be then? If the psalmist could say a, th like a thousand of like the best days I could imagine and just being with him, seeing him outweighs that, what will eternity in the embrace of the groom mean for us? Psalm, is it 16, I think says that, that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That we were, we were made to know him. We, we were, he is the one who satisfies us. John Newton, he, he, he put it this way. He said, one sight of Jesus as he is will fill up our hearts and dry up all our tears. One sight. And the promise is he will be with us, Emmanuel, forever. It reminds me of the, the, the end of the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've read C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, in the last battle, as the story comes, comes to a close, and, uh, and C.S. Lewis, I don't, I don't have the quote written down here exactly, so I'm going to paraphrase. He says that the, the story ends saying that, you know, for us, this is the end of the story and all their adventures in Narnia, and we can say they lived happily ever after, but for those, the children now in Narnia and the true and better Narnia, he says, this was just the beginning of the story, the great story. And he says, in all of their life in this, earth, in this world, all of their adventures had just been the cover and the title page. And now they were beginning chapter one of the great story. 
the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on and on forever, and which every page is better than the one before. This is the hope that we will see him and he will be with us and God himself, the one who made us, will be with us as our God and one sight of him will fill up our hearts and we will see him forever. And every page of this story will be better and better and better forever. This is the one that if, if you have put your faith in Jesus, this is the one who, whom you will see with your own eyes. And this is the one that you can know this Christmas. We see imperfectly, we see darkly, we see just a little bit, but many of us in this room have tasted this. We've tasted just enough to know that, that he's the one who satisfies us. And I want you to know, if you haven't tasted that, if you haven't experienced that, if you haven't turned to this great Savior, that you can know him this Christmas. You can know the one who stands at the end of the aisle and at the end of history waiting for his bride. Will you be there? It's not cleaning yourself up. It's not fixing yourself. It's this is the one who came to save you. Trust him. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my treasure. I want to be there on that day. And you will find him to be exactly the savior that you need. So put your trust in him. Don't, don't, let, don't let even today in this moment, this, this message go by if you haven't done that and God is call, calling you, if you put, put your finger, finger on your heart saying, Turn to me and be saved. Oh, do it. Because this is a Savior worth trusting in. And you want to be there on that day. On that day when he fills up our hearts and dries our tears. And the party begins. We have the bride and the groom and the party. And look at how, in Revelation, and you can go to the next slide, how, how it describes this, this, this party. It's sort of in the, neg the negative and the positive. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It says, all of, all of the bad, all of the heartache, all of the anguish and the tears and the death and the suffering finally at last comes to an end and is rolled away, is wiped out of this world and wiped out of our hearts forever. And then the positive says, I am making all things new. Maybe just two, two thoughts here. We could dwell on this, and we have lingered on this through this, through this series. But I, I want you to consider something here in verse 4, and especially if you find yourself this Christmas season, as, as many of us do, Christmas can be harder when we've lost loved ones, that there can be more tears at Christmas. It's sort of ironic, right, that Christmas is supposed to be peace and joy, and yet 
and yet you can feel at the same time the loss more acutely. And so there are tears for some of us this Christmas. But what verse 4 means for us is that one day there will be a last tear. One day, one tear that falls in this world will be the last tear. One heartache will be the last heartache. One loved one dying will be the last loved one dying. One late night phone call will be the last late night phone call. One hospital bed will be the last hospital bed. One cancer diagnosis will be the last cancer diagnosis. One ambulance siren will be the last ambulance siren. One bullet will be the last bullet. One tear will be the last tear. There's an end coming. There is an end coming. And on the, the night of weeping is long, but there is joy coming in the morning. And on that day, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And it turns out maybe John Newton's quote is maybe not quite good enough because he says just one sight of Jesus will dry our tears. It's better than that here. It's Jesus himself, his nail-scarred hands wiping away our tears. It's him with us. It's his embrace and with him forever, and everything sad becomes untrue. And he says, and I'm making all things new. At the Revelation 22, I think I have this on the next slide. Did I do that correctly? <laughs> uh, it, says, it says this, it says, no longer will there be anything Accursed. No longer will there be brokenness in this world. No longer will, will things break and will things suffer and things die. No longer will the curse lay on us with futility and death. No longer will there be sin in our hearts turning us away from the groom and putting us at enmity with one another. It's all going to be gone. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. His servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. What that just means in Revelation is that will belong to him. Kind of means in the wedding picture, it's he'll put the ring on our finger. And I will be my beloved's and he will be mine. And night will be no more. The night of weeping will end. The morning of joy will begin. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And that's the end of the story. It's the party. It's the celebration. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb that begins and goes on and on forever and ever. I, I, was, at, I was at a wedding yesterday, uh, and it was, a, it, it was an Indian couple getting married. I don't know if any, if any of you have been to an Indian wedding. It was awesome. <laughs> These people knew how to party. And it was like the Indian music, and it was like the dancing, and it was, it was so much fun. And it was like, you know, normally, like, most of the weddings I could, like, okay, white people weddings were kind of uptight. 
<laughs> we kind of sit quietly and we do our thing and you got to kind of coax people out on the dance floor. Man, these people, it was just like, it was like the bride and groom weren't even done with their first song, like their first dance yet. And people are like joining them on the dance floor and it's just like the party starting. And like all the staff are like, wait, I thought we were supposed to serve dinner now. And like, nope, it's the party. It's going. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be, there's a little picture of, this party, when everything accursed and sad is gone forever, the morning of joy comes and the celebration begins. And he will be with us. He will be our light and we will reign forever and ever. This is the hope in the dark. This is the light at the end of the tunnel. And every day it grows brighter. Every tear that falls brings us closer to the final tear when he wipes them all away. So if you're struggling this Christmas, or maybe you're just weary with the world because, man, our world is messed up. And we're messed up. And everything's a mess, right? <laughs> Saw this, this great quote the other day from Jared, Jared Wilson. He's a, a, an author and theologian. He said this. He said, Christians have read the end of the book. To freak out is to forget. Maybe you need that reminder. I need that, I need that reminder. In a, in, a, in a world that is freaking out and in, in all of our temptation to join in, he says, guys, we, we've read the end of the book. We know the happily ever after. To freak out is to forget that one day the party is coming. So if I, I can have the worship team come, come on up. This is the hope, the hope of Christmas. Jesus coming, Emmanuel, the first time. And the hope that we have even now with his spirit dwelling in our hearts with us today. The hope one day he will be Emmanuel again. Fully perfectly, and we will see him. This is our greatest hope. Fleming Rutledge, I've been quoting from her Advent book, this, this whole series, says it this way, our greatest hope has come, and he will come again. That's the, that's the confidence that we can have this Christmas. Our greatest hope has come. He has arrived. He has broken into history. He has come on a rescue mission to save us. He has taken our sins. He has conquered the grave. Our greatest hope has come. But oh, lift your eyes, church, and get ready because he will come again. And this is what we are waiting for. He will come again. So let's stand, let's stand, and these last words, the last words in the Bible, the one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, and our prayer is amen, come Lord Jesus. Lord, this is, this is our prayer. You are the one who loves us and made us. You are the groom in all of your glory, the king in your beauty, and you have called us to yourself. You have promised that you are coming again. 
Amen, come Lord Jesus. Hasten that day when all wrongs will be made right. When dawn breaks, tears are wiped away and joy forever in your presence comes true. Come Lord Jesus. Lord, we sing and we pray and we hope and we look to that day, Jesus, in your great name. Amen.